Good morning. I want to direct your attention to seven Bible passages here on this Good Friday. And put together, these verses give us a historical record of what was on the heart and the mind of our Lord Jesus as he endured death on a Roman cross. And when the passage comes up on the screen, I encourage you, if you can, to write down the location of the verse so that you can review and reflect somewhat as you've still got a day or so before Easter Sunday. And it's important that we reflect upon these words from our Lord. And I also want to suggest in my comments today a key word that goes with each of these passages. And you can apply these, all of these are applied to our own lives. So here's our first passage. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. In first century Jerusalem, crucifixion was a very common occurrence. However, the people who witnessed the events on this particular day could not begin to understand or grasp the enormous implication of Jesus' sacrifice. And believers today, we should understand that this amazing act of love and forgiveness was for everyone. His mercy and grace are freely available to all who place their trust in him. Even before he ever went to the cross, Jesus instructed his followers to bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, which was exactly, in one sense, what he was doing while on the cross. So for this first passage, the key word is forgive. We should ask our Heavenly Father to help us cultivate a willingness to forgive others, regardless of the circumstances. And maybe even as I say that today, someone may cross your mind that maybe would be applicable in your life. In our second passage, Jesus said, I tell you the truth Today you will be with me in paradise. Now Jesus made this statement to one of two criminals being crucified with him. Now understand there was no punctuation in Aramaic or Hebrew languages in the first century. In fact, it would be the ninth century before commas were even added uh, to the Bible. And in the NIV, the New International Version, I believe that the comma here on this particular verse is misplaced. I think it should read, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, did you, did you pick up that difference? In the first one, he said, yeah, I, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. That assumes a rather immediate response. But I think it should say, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. The scripture tells us that Jesus died, was buried, and did not even rise until the third day. And also, Jesus told Mary after he came out of the grave not, not to touch him yet because he had not yet returned to the Father. But regardless of where you put the comma, it does not change the inspiration that these words convey to all of us. This statement is what every believer should anticipate. One day, we will be with Jesus, and we'll see him with our own eyes. And because this is a Bible verse that gives us hope, 
I suggest the key word should be assurance. Assurance. The third passage comes from John 19, 25 and 27. Verse 25 and 26 gives us the background information. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, and then Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And the Bible says when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple uh, whom he loved, that would be John the Baptist, uh, or, I'm sorry, the Apostle John, they were standing nearby. He looked at him and he said, he said to his mother, here's the passage, Dear woman, here is your son, and here's your mother. And from that time on, Scripture says, the disciple, John, took Mary with him into her home, into his home. And speaking of Mary, the mother of Jesus was an amazing, amazing woman. She conceived of Christ through the Holy Spirit while still unwed during a time when pregnancy before marriage was treated with shunning at best and stoning at worst. And still, after being told her destiny, her faithful response to Gabriel was, I'm the Lord's servant, she said. May your word to me be fulfilled. Faithful woman, certain that God would not send her a burden too heavy to bear. And we should all aspire to be as trusting as Mary was throughout her life. The key word here is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And then we come to passage number four. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said from the cross. Now also understand that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. In fact, Jesus throughout his entire life knew that his life and his actions and things that would happen were fulfillments of prophecy written long, long before. He was quoting Psalm 22 when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I would suggest to you, as you meditate over the next day or so before Easter, I would suggest you give this particular passage a lot of thought. Of course, there's the obvious. Jesus was brutalized and humiliated and beaten and alone. Earlier, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he even asked, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Remember, he was also God, but he was also fully human. And while in his humanity, he must have felt such terrible anguish. And yet he still allowed it all to come to pass. We used to sing a song, you know, he could have called 10,000 angels to his rescue, but he did not. He knew the price, but he loved the Father, and he loved us with a love that was willing to pay that price. Yet on that cross, it kind of appears as if he's questioning the Father when he says, why have you forsaken me? You know what? I wonder, while we cannot possibly understand the pain and the anguish and the horribleness of crucifixion that's going on here, I wonder, have you ever questioned your Heavenly Father? Have you ever cried out why? I would suggest we all probably have at one time or another. Perhaps Jesus was simply illustrating for us 
how we can feel lost and abandoned and hurting and yet not give up. Never forget, when our Lord accepted his Father's will and died on that cross, our world, our destiny as human beings changed forever. And with this example of love, you and I are able to accept the truth that, what is that old song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, my treasure's laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I would sing that, but you probably wouldn't enjoy that as much as the young ladies who've already been up here. One thing they've never asked me to do is sing a solo. All my years of ministry, nobody's ever asked that. So, and uh, I'm not sure I would say yes, but just be nice, be asked, you know. But, but anyway, but never forget, Jesus, our Lord, accepted His Father's will. And with this example, you and I can do the same. Every day, even as we walk through our pain, our disappointment, our heartache, our suffering, we're moving closer, closer to a time when such occurrences will be no more. And again, don't miss this. The key word for this passage is acceptance. Have you accepted this? Have you accepted the, re- the reality, not just a, a, a doctrine in the Bible, but a reality in our day-to-day lives? Powerful, powerful. And then passage 5, just three words, he said, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty. John 19, 28 says, Later, knowing that all is now completed, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. Now again, don't miss how focused Jesus is on the word of God. He knew the Old Testament writings far better than anybody else. He knew all the prophecies. He knew that King David, centuries before, had predicted in Psalm 69, 21, they would give me vinegar for my thirst. He knew that. There was no compassion shown to our Lord as he hung on the cross. Crucifixion was the absolute most horrible death one could ever imagine. But yet I think the key word here is is identification. Now, here's what I mean by this. It's impossible for us to identify with a sinless Savior. Would you agree? You know, none of us can identify with a sinless anything, but especially a sinless Savior. But I think of God coming into this world and walking among us as a human being. Now, why? Why did he do this? So he could identify with us. We would never be able to identify with him as the, the sinless son of God in that sense. But Jesus came so that we could at least feel like there was someone that understood. He could fulfill Hebrews four fifteen and 16. Listen to this. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one that's been tempted in every single way, just as we are, yet without sin. That's the difference. So verse 16 says, So then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus came so we would know that there was someone able to understand and empathize with us. We, all the things we humans face and the temptations we would experience. Wow. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. 
yet not my will, yours be done. You know, this should be the battle cry of every believer here today. Anybody that's struggling with unfairness and difficulty of life, here was Jesus, one of us, in shared humanity, and he turns to his Father. (laughs) And in prayer, he asks that whatever the cost, that God's will be done in his life. Identification. And then passage number six, again, three words. It is finished. It is finished. Jesus poured himself out for this world filled with sinful people. He gave of himself through his teaching, his compassion, and in the end, through his death. And just as Jesus neared the end of life, he thirsted, but not in the, in the physical sense, I don't believe. I mean, pause with me for a moment. See if we can do this little exercise today. All right, you ready? I want you to breathe in. Now, you don't have to hold it very long. Okay, okay now let's practice. Now that you got it down, okay, just, just breathe in. And then breathe out. Now let's do it again. This is some of the most exercise some of you've got all day. You know, all right. Breathe in and breathe out. I mean, that's pretty neat. It's a simple act, though, isn't it? Very simple. One you and I take for granted every single moment. I mean, countless times every day. And the fact that you and I can still do that, you know what that means? That is a sure sign that there is still something for you and me to do a role to play, a task to fulfill. So I suggest for this particular passage, steadfast is the key word. I suggest steadfast. It means, the word itself means unwavering. It means resolute, persistent, committed, dedicated. Jesus completed the task that his father sent him to do. He forgave his crucifiers. He promised his faithful followers a future in paradise. He showed us where to direct our most desperate questions, and he then tended to his family and loved ones, and now his mission was finished. That burdensome debt, the debt that is owed by every sinner, everyone here, Everyone among us, in other words, could now be accounted for. And this was the extravagant cost of real justice. But it's also the source of mercy. And it's the wellspring, always has been, of real, living, sacrificial love. So let us on this Good Friday give thanks and embrace the gift and spread the good news. It is finished. And we are safe and secure within His grace and mercy. But don't get excited. We're not done yet. Just a few more words from the lips of our Savior. Eight words to be exact. Listen to this final passage. It's found in Luke twenty-three forty-six. Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. And Luke, the gospel writer, adds 
And when he had said this, he breathed his last. I think the key word here is the word fulfilled. The sin that was born in the Garden of Eden was finally dealt with centuries later on a hill called Calvary. Wow. Adam and Eve didn't understand all that we understand today. You know, it's always interested me that Good Friday and Easter Sunday have earned a place on your calendar. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, of all the other things, we, we celebrate a lot of strange things in this country. But, but this has always been something that intrigued me because in a very real sense, you and I live out our lives on Saturday. You know, they don't have a, you have a, you have a Good Friday, and then, then you have, of course, Easter Sunday, but in the middle you don't have, take a break and have a nap Saturday or something like that. We don't have that. How many of you vote for that? Vote for take a nap Saturday? You know, I used to not worry about that, but I tell you, naps are, are wonderful things today. And we have people in this church that they get their best rest on Sunday mornings. They, they, they go just like that. Ooh, they're gone. But no, what, what it interests me, what, what this disciples experienced on a small scale, in a sense, they had three days of grief and uh, over one man who died on a cross. But you and I now live this in a totally different way on a larger scale. I want to, I want to read to you as I close today in, in one of the books that Philip Yancey wrote. If you ever find a book by Philip Yancey, buy it and read it. He's a, he's a great theologian, a great Christian writer. Listen to what he writes. Human history grinds on between the time of promise and the time of fulfillment. Can we trust that God can make something holy and beautiful and good out of a world like ours today? It's Saturday on planet Earth. Will Sunday ever come? That dark Golgothan Friday can only be called good because of what happened on Easter Sunday, a day which gives us a tantalizing clue to the riddle of the universe. Easter opened up a crack in the universe winding down towards entropy and decay, sealing the promise that someday God would enlarge the miracle of Easter to a cosmic scale. And then Yancey says this, but it's good to remember that in this cosmic drama, you and I live out our days on Saturday, the in-between day with no name. He writes, I know a woman whose grandmother lies buried under a 150-year-old oak tree in a church cemetery in rural Louisiana. And in accordance with the grandmother's instructions, only one word is carved on the tombstone. Know what it is? Waiting. Just waiting. Just waiting. And though Jesus cast a vision for a better kingdom, now... And also in the future, as long as it's still Saturday, that, that the in-between time, which is what we are, the fulfillment of that vision still awaits until Sunday morning dawns, as it will one day. I want us to have some time now. I'm just going to pray for you as we have the opportunity to share the Lord's Supper together. And uh, I'm going to 
lead that part of the prayer, and then I want to just take some quiet time. If you don't have, uh, if you didn't pick up any communion cups in the in the foyer, uh, just raise your hand here in a minute. We'll make sure you get them. But this is a special time when we just 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 it's like on Sunday where we commune with the Lord, and we make sure that He knows He has our full attention. So let me pray for us as we do this. Okay. Oh Father, we thank you that that Sunday's coming. But as we wait, help us also to remember, and and that's why we do the Lord's Supper, Father, because it was given in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. You tell us in your word, every time you do this, you do it in remembrance of Jesus. And so as we go into this holy weekend, it's appropriate that, yes, we know that Sunday's coming, but it's appropriate for us every opportunity that we bow our heads and we remember through this symbolic little meal that we have, Jesus shared it with his disciples. We share it to this day as disciples of one among others. And Lord, we know that it represents the body that was broken, the little wafer, and the blood that was spilt. That is the juice. And the scripture says, as you do this, you do it in, we do it in remembrance of you. In the quietness of this moment, Father, help us, your children, to embrace this time of communion. And thank you for your most wonderful gift in Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.